Uh, I have four children and a dog named Tyson. I think I actually have a picture. There's Tyson. Isn't he a lovely dog? Um, Tyson, we, we bought Tyson 10 years ago for our one-year anniversary. And I still remember bringing him home and calling Trish and saying, Hey, get outside. I have your, your birthday present in the back of my truck, or your, our anniversary present. And so she comes outside, and Tyson's back feet are in the back of the truck, and his front feet are up on the cab of the truck, and he's looking over the top, and I just hear her go, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but we've had it, we've, we've had Tyson for 10 years, and we've gotten to train with half marathons with him. Uh, he takes us rollerblading where he'll pull us for like miles. It's fantastic. Um, he's, he's raised our kids in a way. He's helped protect our kids. And so we really enjoy our dog Tyson. But everything changed about two weeks ago. Many of you know the story. But a stranger came to our fence. And it was an older man. He came to our fence. And even though Tyson is a fairly large dog, he reached his hand over the fence to pet Tyson. And when he reached his hand over the fence to pet Tyson... Tyson got protective. He got territorial and he bit the guy's hand and it went pretty deep and the guy had to get stitches. And so there was a police report. Uh, We had we had people from the city come out. Uh, I had to go to my insurance company, see if they would cover it. They would. But as I talked to the insurance company, they said, you know, we will cover all his medical bills. But there's a catch. You have to get rid of the dog. And I just got so angry. I was so mad because I thought to myself, all Tyson was doing was just guarding our land. He was guarding the family. Why in the world was this guy reaching his hand over to pet some dog that he doesn't know? He deserved to get bit. (laughs) Tyson was protecting his territory. And I just got so angry and I felt so wronged. And the question that we're going to look at this morning is... How do we respond when somebody wrongs us? When somebody does something to you that angers you, either it's intentionally or unintentionally, either it's sinful or it's not sinful, either it's malicious or it's kind-hearted in its nature like this man's was. What do you do when somebody wrongs you? And we're going to see how the gospel transforms the way that we write the wrongs in our life, right? The way that people have wronged us. We, we have looked so far and we have seen how the good news of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for our sin has transformed much of our life. If you remember, we saw how Paul calls us to put off the old man and to put on the new man, to put on Christ, that we do this, that we put off the old mind that is depraved, that is cloudy, that is ignorant. And we put on the new mind, the mind of Christ. That we put off the old heart, the heart that is deceitful, that is depraved, that is callous, that is greedy for sin. And we put on the new heart that is righteous and holy before God. That we put off our old words. Do you remember this? Lying and demeaning and tearing people down. And we put on new words, words that build up, words that edify, words that encourage others, words that give grace. Last week, we talked about how the gospel, the goodness of Christ, transforms our work and our money. That we no longer steal. We no longer work dishonestly, which is another form of stealing. But we are to work honestly onto the Lord so that we could give generously. And then today, Paul talks about how the gospel, the good news of Christ, transforms the way we respond 
when we're wrong, the way we respond when we're angered. And so that's what we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 32. If you do not have a Bible, there are red Bibles in the back. Uh, if you would like a Bible, raise your hand and Jeremy will bring you one. I forgot to announce that. If you don't have a Bible, you'll definitely need one. So please raise your hand and Jeremy will bring you one. But we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 32. It's on page 978 of the Red Bible. Ephesians 4, verse 22. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is where we're going to focus most of our time today. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. God Heart transformation is not only difficult, it is impossible apart from you, God. What you are going to call us to today is revolutionary, Lord. It is something that maybe has marked much of our life, and yet you're asking us to give it up, God. We pray that through your grace and through the Holy Spirit, you would help us to do that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Paul starts out in what we're looking at today in a passage that is very familiar because it sticks out. He says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. What an interesting verse. I think it it really sticks out to us because we have perceived Christianity to be this passive religion in which we just accept everything that comes our way. We are doormats. We are never excited. But Paul actually here doesn't say it's okay to be angry. He commands you. (laughs) Paul commands you. God commands you through Paul to be angry. You see, there are things that are happening in the world that we are to be angry about. While there are times that we sin by getting angry over the wrong things, there are probably just as many times we sin by not getting angry over injustice, over things that anger God. We read in James, it says, it affirms this, it says, Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so it doesn't say, do not get angry. It says, be slow to anger, because many times it is not fruitful at all. Even Jesus himself got angry. And so we know it's not sin. We see 
in Mark 3, 5, Jesus is provoked to anger because the Pharisees and the religious men say, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Is it okay to do good? Is it okay to bring life on the Sabbath? And it responds this way in Mark 3, 5. It says, and Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the men, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. As we are made in the image of God, as we are being renewed into the likeness of Christ, we are called to be angry when injustice happens. We are called to be angry when we see genocides, when we see prejudice, when we see sexism. We are called to be angry when we see God's creation dealt with unrighteously, when people use the world as their trash can, when people hurt animals. We are called to be angry. But not to sin. Be angry and do not sin. And so how do we not sin in our anger? That's the big question, right? And we're going to look at it mostly in verse 31 and 32. But Paul gives us a hint here in verse 26. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying, do not cherish your anger. Do not let it consume you. Do not let it rule you. Deal with your anger quickly. And again, we'll look at what it says about how we deal with our anger, but do it quickly because if you do not, and this is what he says here, he says, you are giving an opportunity to the devil. Uh, Other translations say you are giving a foothold to the devil or you are giving a place to the devil if you are harboring this anger. It's kind of like we're giving office space to Satan to let him go and work And manipulate our lives and hurt relationships in our lives. Just a few weeks ago, Trish and I were driving and, you know, we were just nipping at each other the day before. Just really kind of, you know, sharp with one another. And and we're, what's going on? Why are we so, you know, sharp with one another? And as we talked about it and we dialogued about it, we weren't angry at each other. We were angry over the dog situation, to be honest with you. But you see, we hadn't dealt with it quickly. We had let the sun go down on our anger and Satan got a foothold and he started messing with other relationships in our life. You know how that is. You go to work, you go to school, somebody says something that hurts very directly. It provokes you to anger. And yet who takes who do you take your anger out on? Your wife, your kids, your husband, your parents, your spouse or your your siblings. Because when we do not deal with anger quickly, we give Satan a foothold to mess up many other aspects of our life. And so, how do we deal with anger quickly? What does it look like to deal with anger? And that's what we're going to look at today in verse 31 and 32. And very simply put, God is going to call us to put off hatred and to put on love. In verse 31, put off hatred. Verse 32, put on love. And so that's what we're going to look at today. First, we're called to put off hatred. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Put it off, right? Put it away from you, along with all malice. You know, one of the defense mechanisms we have when people hurt us, is to get a stone heart, to get a hard heart, so that nobody can get in, so no one can hurt us again. And one of the ways that we most see that is through bitterness, which he talks about here. You know, it's so funny 
that we have a, uh, you know, bitterness is a taste, right? Bitterness is when you, when you drink something like coffee and it's bitter. I don't know if you've ever seen those commercials for bitter beer face. Have you, do you remember those commercials? And this guy drinks a beer and he gets this really crazy face, right? And he's all grossed out. But we use that to describe our heart towards somebody. When, when their name is named, our hearts get bitter. Who is that in your life? Who is it that it is so hard to love? Who is it that when their name is mentioned, you cringe? Paul says, put off all bitterness. You know, I think of bitterness as like those uh, little... You ever play Minesweeper on the computer? Those little... Those little balls with the spikes. That's what bitterness is. It's a hard heart with all of these spikes sticking out of it. And Paul talks about these here in this passage. One of those spikes would be wrath, right? We would want to carry out wrath on this person. Our bitterness leads us to try and hurt this other person. Whether with words, with actions, with disconnecting from them. And he says, put off wrath. Wrath belongs to God. God will carry out his justice 100% of the time. He will carry it out, either in this life or the life to come. And so his justice may come in the form of hell for all eternity, but his justice for that person may also have been fulfilled at the cross on Christ. But God always takes care of justice. And so he says, put off wrath. He also tells us to put away anger. Put away anger. Now, that's kind of funny, right? Because he just commanded us, be angry. And now he says, put away anger. We're assuming that Paul isn't dumb. We're assuming that Paul meant two different things here. And so what is the difference between his command to be angry and to put off anger? Anger here is, it's a noun. It's who you become. It's who you are. You are just an angry Person, It consumes your life. It goes back to harboring it, right? To consuming it, to letting it overwhelm you. You become angry. Nobody can come close to you because you just poke them with anger. And he says, put off anger. He goes on to talk about put away clamor, which means vicious fighting, using words or physically fighting with one another, screaming and yelling. Put away slander, anything that would ruin a person's good name, either face to face or behind their back. And then finally, as a catch-all, he says, put away all malice. Any intention to do that person harm, put it away. This is difficult, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I've been hurt by people in my life. And all these things come very easily to me. (laughs) All these things come very naturally to me. To put them off, it'd almost be easier to fly. But he tells us, put these things off. There's this great quote about bitterness. I actually quoted it one time before and absolutely botched it. So I'm going to read it to you. And this could apply to all of these, but it says, Bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping the other person dies. Bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping the other person dies. You see, one reason to put these things off, and there are many which we'll study. But one reason is because if you do not put them off, they will consume you. You're giving a foothold for the devil. You know, when you have that bitterness, that anger, that malice towards somebody else, they may have no idea that it's there. And it is ruling your life. 
It wakes you up at night. It gives you nightmares. You're thinking about it when you're getting ready in the morning, when you're driving home at night. It is controlling you. And so he says to put it off. It's like a bee. A bee that is mad at you, right? Because you're messing with something that you don't, that it doesn't want you to mess with. And so it comes and it stings you and it sticks its stinger in deep. And then it breaks it off and flies away and ends up dying, right? You know, this is the picture of what happens when we don't put off these things. The person that it hurts more than anyone else is ourselves and those that are closest to us. And so he says, put off hatred, put off wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, put off bitterness. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't merely say, take the car out of reverse, put it in neutral. But he also says, put it into drive, move towards that person, put off hatred, but also put on love. Verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Thinking of that person in your life who you harbor bitterness and anger towards. This is a difficult command. Not only to not pursue them with hatred, but to now pursue them with love. To pursue them with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. This is almost unfathomable for many of us. And as we read this command, two questions kind of come to mind. The first is why? Why in the world should I love this person when they have done something so wicked and mean and evil towards me? And I have had righteous anger against them. Why should I now love them? But then the second question is how? Even if I wanted to love them, even if I wanted to forgive them and be tender-hearted and kind to them, how in the world could I do that? Because I can't control my own heart. It feels what it feels. And what we learn here is that the why and the how are the exact same answer. You see, all of us have offended God. All of us have wronged God. All of us have sinned against God grievously. You know, even as a person maybe has sinned against you, they also sinned against God. And so it accumulates. Everyone that you have sinned against, all of the sin in your life accumulates day by day, hour by hour. And God and his justice could carry out his wrath and anger upon you and be glorified. But God decided not to do that. God decided to send his son, Jesus Christ. So that God could exhibit these attributes to you. So that God could be kind to you. So that God could be tender hearted to you. So that God could be forgiving to you in Christ Jesus. That's what a heavenly father looks like. That's what an earthly father should look at. And so I briefly want to look at each of these and see how God has been that towards you in Christ Jesus. First off, we see that God has been kind to us. And that we are called to be kind to one another. Not harsh, not bitter, but kind. In Romans 2, verse 3, Paul writes this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? And so, you know, he's saying that you do the very things that you condemn, right? And so when you pull Joe, Joe, 
Can you believe how Aaron is such a gossip, right? What are you doing? You're gossiping about gossip, right? Or, or we can take someone and put them on a platform. Can you believe Anthony Weiner did something that was sexually inappropriate, right? What a horrible, horrible guy. Have you never done anything sexually inappropriate? See, we all suffer from the same sin. It may take different forms, but when we judge others, we're really judging ourselves because we're guilty too. The verse goes on. He says, or do you presume on the riches of, and here's the word, his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, there it is again, is meant to lead you to repentance. This is a a sharp warning to us. That the enemies in our life, if we choose not to be kind to them, it means that we have never really understood the kindness of God to us in Christ Jesus. That we have never known the depth of his mercy and love in all the ways that we have offended him. And so he says, be kind as God has been kind to you. In this passage in Ephesians 4.32, he goes on and says that we are called to be tender hearted. This is made up of two words in the Greek. U. I wonder if that actually came up. No, okay. Um, but there are two words in the Greek to explain this word tender-hearted, and it's really well translated, but really hard to understand. The first part of the word says it's to do good, to do well towards something. And the second part is talking about the bowels of a person. All right. And so when Judas hung himself and his bowels spilled out, this is the word that is used. But they use this word to explain what is in the depth of a person. What is in his heart of hearts? What is there? And he calls us to be tender hearted. There's really only one other passage in the New Testament which talks about the heart of heart of God, the bowels of God. And it's when he sends John the Baptist, when he when he sends John into the world. And he reveals to his father the heart of God. And he says, listen, Luke 1, 76. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And then here's where it shows his heart because of the tender bowels of God, the tender mercy of God, the tender heart of God. See, God has been tender-hearted towards us to bring us salvation, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us mercy. And we're called to be tender-hearted to those who have wronged us, those who have sinned against us. Finally, God calls us to forgive those who have wronged us. He even says it very directly here. Forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So the question is, how has God in Christ Jesus forgiven you? The list could go on and on. Christ died for you so that God could forgive you in the depth of your sin. It's an eternal forgiveness. It is a overflowing forgiveness. It is a rich forgiveness. It is an enduring forgiveness. I think of the passage in Matthew 18, whenever we learn about forgiveness and needing to forgive others because God has forgiven us. And it's so helpful. And you'll probably remember this story. But in Matthew 18, 21, it says this, that Peter came up and said to Jesus, 
Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? This is exactly what we're talking about today. How much forgiveness should we show to those who have wronged us? As many as seven times, Peter said. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, meaning an infinite amount. And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable, which is amazing, this story. He says, there once was a servant who lived in a kingdom and there was a king who decided that he wanted to settle all his debts. And so he calls his servant into his into his room and he says, I want you to pay up. Now, the man owes about a hundred years wages. He owes a lifetime of wages. He owes an insurmountable amount of debt. And he says, can you pay? And the man says, of course not, I can't. It's too much debt. And the king says to him, very good, then your family should be sold to pay for your debt. And the man gets down on his knee and he pleads to the king, please have mercy on me, please Forgive my debt. And this is what happens in Matthew 18, 27. It says, out of pity for him, out of his tenderheartedness, the master, the king of the servant, released him and forgave him the debt. That's what happens when we're forgiving. We are releasing people from their indebtedness to us. We are not repaying their anger with anger. We are not repaying their sin with sin. We are releasing them. We are forgiving them. We are treating them as if it never happened. We are wiping the slate clean. Verse 27, it goes on. Sorry, the, the story goes on. And the king cancels the debt. He absorbs the debt. He takes it out of his own treasury. And then he sends the man out. And when the man goes out, he goes out and he sees another Servant of the king. Servant number two. Servant number two owes this guy a large sum of money. It's about a year's wage. It's not insignificant. It's a lot. And he comes to this servant and he says, pay me what you owe me. Pay me that year's wage. And servant number two says, I don't have it on me. Be patient. I will, I will pay you. I promise. And the servant who was forgiven this great and immense amount by the king strangles this guy and throws him in jail. Who in your life are you refusing to forgive their debt towards you? Who are you saying what they have done is so horrible, so treacherous, I can't forgive them? They don't deserve to be forgiven. That's the point. That's why you forgive. This is what God says to us. This is what the king says to that wicked servant. This is what King Jesus says to us. When we don't forgive. Verse 32. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Right? God has forgiven you more debt than you could ever imagine or fathom. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And then we see the consequences of this unforgiveness. He says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, this is a serious call to forgiveness. This does not say forgiveness is optional. It's saying, if you have experienced the forgiveness of God, you must forgive others because no matter how horrible and significant it is, and many times it is. It's nothing compared to how God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. 
on American Idol season five, there was a young singer named Mandisa Hundley. You probably just know her as Mandisa, but she came and she tried out before the judges. And as she sang, the, the judges were amazed. She had a fantastic voice and they applauded her and they gave her high scores. As Medisa turned to walk off the stage and leave with a grin on her face, knowing that she has made it, one of the judges, Simon, who's known for his harshness and his directness, said, making fun of her weight, do we have a bigger stage this year? Mandisa talks about that time, and she says this. She says, it was my worst fear come true because it's been the biggest struggle of my life and because it's something I feel so vulnerable about. For him to have said that and for it to air on national television, I was devastated. You could imagine. I would be devastated too. After the show was over, a bunch of my friends gathered around me and they began to pray for me. They began to pray for Simon. They asked the Lord to have mercy on me. At the next time when Mandisa would see, would see Simon, the producers pulled Mandisa aside and they said, let him have it. Go after him. Say whatever you want. We can bleep it out and we can make it okay for TV. Just go after Simon. And she said, I have my words. I know what I'm going to say. And so Mandisa, after being hurt so much, by being wronged so badly in front of millions of people, comes and stands before Simon. And this is what she said. She said, you hurt me. And I cried. And it was painful. It really was. But I want you to know that I have forgiven you. You don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody. I figured that if Jesus could die so that all of my sins could be forgiven... I could certainly extend that same grace to you. Wow. This is a person who has understood both the how and the why of loving your enemy. She has understood that because she has been loved by God, while she has offended him, she can now go and love someone who has so horribly offended her. You see, God not only gives us the direction to do it, He not only gives us the example to do it, He gives us the power to do it by forgiving us in Christ Jesus. And so we are called to go and to love those who have wronged us, forgiving them, being kind to them, being tender-hearted to them. As we celebrate Father's Day today, I realize that this comes as a bittersweet day to many of you. To many of you, it is is a joyous occasion because you have a great relationship with your father. But for many of you, this is a very difficult day because your father was not there. Either he was abusive in certain ways or he was absent in other ways. But it's, it's a day of possibly bitterness for you because of that. I know what that's like. When I was in high school, my parents got a divorce, and I learned some things that my dad had done, and I was so angry and bitter towards him, and I did not deal with it quickly at all. I let the sun set on it time and time and time again, and for months, I didn't talk to my dad. And then finally, I had the opportunity to slander my dad through an email that I sent out to my entire family, listing out the things that he had done wrong. 
And my dad responded to that email, not with hatred, not with anger, not with malice, but with tenderness and kindness and forgiveness. And he wrote this passage, Jimmy. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. My dad was not pleading his innocence. (laughs) In, In a way, he was confessing his guilt. But he was reminding me, anybody can harbor bitterness. Anyone can harbor anger. But only those who have known the forgiveness and the kindness And the mercy and the love of God can show that towards one who has sinned against you. Maybe this day, if that one person that you have harbored bitterness towards is your dad or to someone else, you could give them the greatest Father's Day gift ever. You could give them your heart. You could give them your forgiveness. You could give them your kindness. You could give them your tender-heartedness today. If we have experienced the love of God, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Choose this day to put off hatred with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice and put on love, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Let's pray. Gracious God, we we do confess that we often do not respond in the way that we should to those who wrong us. It takes a miracle of you to respond in a way that says, I have been forgiven much. Allow me to forgive those who have hurt me. God, we pray as we gather around this communion table, we would remember the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We would remember the debt that was absorbed because of our sin. It would lead us to forgive those who have hurt us, who have wronged us. We pray that you would help us do this in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at the Lord's Supper, as we come to this table, we're reminded of the last Passover when Jesus comes to them. It says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve and they were reclining at the table. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. They began to be sorrowful, and one after another said, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man to never have been born. Jesus goes on. And he says, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he had given it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As we come to this table, we come to a table of forgiveness. That Christ has earned our forgiveness at the cross. That he has taken God's justice for our sins so that he could forgive us. And once again, be kind to us, be tender hearted towards us. And to forgive us and love us. 
If you're here today and you trust in Jesus Christ, we encourage you to take, to be nourished, to go and forgive those who have wronged you. If you're here today and you're just investigating Christianity, you are not sure if you are a Christian or not, we'd encourage you to pass it by. We are so thankful that you are here. But this is for those who trust in Christ. And so I would encourage you, take this. Hold on to it. We will take it together as we remember the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus.
Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood shed for you. Let's stand as we sing our final song. What a what a great word from the Lord this morning. In response to Father's Day, um, for those of us who have accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family. And God, our Father, is our Father. And we are His children. So let's keep that in mind as we sing this song. Praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 